Hello, beautiful community, and welcome to Generational Archives, a show where we connect, heal, uncover through intergenerational conversations and archival research. I'm Reina J. Leon, your scholar, creative, and intuitive researcher, and... I'm Dr. Norma Thomas, and I am Dr. Reina Leon's mother. <laughs> so, yes, we are a mother-daughter team, and we've been doing this work for a while. I hope that you have enjoyed the first two episodes with Uncle Francis and Aunt Doris. In this episode, we're going to be talking about Granny. Alberta Elizabeth Bird, born in 1905 and transitioned to ancestor in 1989. She was the daughter of John Franklin Bird and Annie F. Rubottom, but everyone mommy's age and younger called her Granny, and everyone older called her Mama. So in this episode, we're going to talk about oral histories, what we can learn from our communities about our ancestors and the importance of writing those stories down. So, Mommy, who was Granny to you? Granny was, if you can picture what would be your stereotypical grandmother, she was that person. She looked like everyone's grandmother. She was the uh, supporter, protector of all her children and grandchildren, just like grandmothers are. For the first year of my life, I was told that I lived with her. When my father was still in the military completing his service, they brought me up from Georgia, took me to her house to live until he got out of the service, actually said I looked really sick. And so as soon as my parents left, they threw me in the dirt <laughs> so that the dirt could help heal me, uh, which is a theme because my grandmother was a great healer as far as I'm concerned, the best cook in the world. Again, all the stereotypes you think about as a grandmother. And one of the pictures we started with and looking at this episode was her holding me in her arms with my uncle next to us. And so that is the portrait that we started with. But as we have come to learn, my grandmother also had a very, very colorful life, to say the least. So when you say colorful, what do you mean? Well, let's start out with the fact that she did go to college, which for her generation and for people in my family, she was unique in that she went to Livingston College in North Carolina. My aunt and my grandfather tell this story, different versions, that she was home from break from college, was in a sled riding accident. My grandfather felt some responsibility and felt that he had to marry her. And they stayed married for over 60 years, fought probably every day of those 60 years. So my grandmother could use as colorful language as there was <laughs> uh, in their arguments. And so these days when any of us are arguing, we say we, we sound like picky and granny. So she was unique in that sense. But she was also very active in an organization called the Evening Star, Temple 85 in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. 
She was the daughter ruler. She was a statewide daughter ruler and traveled not only the state but all over the country at different activities. We have a number of pictures where my grandmother is partying hardy with a large group of people in her evening gowns and ballroom dresses. And so we know that she had that part of her life. In addition, we've talked about my Aunt Doris, who was a, a major entertainer on the on the national stage, so she often was with my Aunt Doris. And we came to find out one day in talking to my Aunt Clyda May, one of her children, that my grandmother supposedly danced at the Apollo Theater and was also a cigarette girl with Billie Holiday, and her stage name was Princess Olga. Now, I would not have believed that if you had seen my grandmother, I never would have ever believed that she was part of the entertainment scene and that she danced at the Apollo Theater in New York City. So that's part of her colorful background. So I want to come back to this piece around um, just what you just specifically spoke to of her performing on the stage. And you never would have believed it knowing Granny as you did. And we were just talking about how you've done a lot of research into the Apollo and trying to find newspaper records and so on of Granny in this time and been unable to. But one thing that we just talked about was, well, Billie Holiday, so many people know her work. So many people have pictures of her, perhaps in those times when she herself was a cigarette girl. And I wonder, I wonder if looking adjacent to Granny, if we were to do some research with Billie Holiday in her times as she was emerging as an artist, if we might actually find images of Granny. I want to uplift that because those of you who are doing research on family that may have some connection, some being alongside of folks who can claim celebrity or something, you might not think about how to get access to pictures or information about them, but it might be by looking at the person that they had relationship with and seeing who is in the background, perhaps one of your people. And I also want to get back to uh, Picky saying he felt some responsibility for a sledding accident. Now, you and I know that we've done generational research, archival research, and we're looking at birth records. And Uncle Francis was born when Granny was about 19. So she would have been perhaps in college. And the part of the story that isn't told is perhaps he felt some responsibility for a, quote, sledding accident, which also might have been Uncle Francis. And that is actually what led to their partnership. Well, that's part of that story, too, because depending on who tells the story, it's a sledding accident, which I believe I heard from my grandfather, which we call Picky. But I think the pregnancy was the story I heard from my Aunt Clyda. So depending on who tells the story, uh, it says how oral history, we take all the story because mm -hmm. in all the story there is some 
truth to all of it and we can put it all together. And it, it speaks to going back to the oral history because when people started telling me these stories, obviously I wrote them down. And today in preparation for this recording, I started to read what I wrote. And that's where this revelation that she was with Billie Holiday at the Apollo came through because apparently my um, Aunt Clyda told me that story. And so that's now giving me another place to look to see if I can find anything about Princess Olga at the Apollo Theater. And I don't want us to leave that one fact I also found in my writing that when my grandparents got married, there was apparently the Thomas family, which is my family, my grandfather's family, were not happy because my grandfather was marrying somebody considerably darker than himself. If you could see a picture of my grandmother, you would think they are all crazy because she is very light. So for that side of the family to think that she was too dark for them speaks to all kinds of issues with African-American families and colorism. I mean, the Thomases are descendant from slave masters and African uh, women at some point way back in the history. So there is that piece of colorism that I had forgotten about in the story that my aunt was telling me about my grandmother and her life. And I think that that's important to highlight, too, of in talking about story to cultivate the practice of writing it all down immediately after you've heard it, because inevitably you forget, right? And the great thing is that you not only wrote it down, you typed it up and it's in a book and you could go back to it and in a book of other archival research, not a published book. And I want to emphasize that a lot of the things that we're referencing in archival documents are not within a published manuscript. They're not within an archival space yet they are preserved within a binder and everything assembled by date and connected with their individual peoples. And so as a practice to also share with everyone, of it doesn't have to be in a central repository at a library somewhere. You can create multiple copies of documents and share them with your community and it can be um, housed within different binders and so on so that folks have their personal ar archives. You can also provide archival information to your local library, to your local historical society because your history is also part of the community, community history. So this piece of writing it down, preserving it and sharing it, you know, we. Even just today, we had this wonderful experience of um, sharing a recording of my grandmother, Granny's daughter-in-law, and the discovery of a recording. And what we did with that, I'm sure we'll talk more about that process at another episode, but what we did with that recording was transfer it and then immediately share it with the people, our family, and by extension, the community this voice that had been lost forever. When you gather information, when you write it down, please share it so it doesn't just stay with one person. 
Two other facts that I also want to share about my grandmother. One speaks back to thinking about her as the typical grandmother, was that I always saw her as controlling everybody else's household. She could tell people what to do in their house, especially when it came to her grandchildren, except for our house. And I always wondered why Granny couldn't have the same control in my house that she seemed to have in everybody else's. So when we were being disciplined, since we lived across the street from her, she would come out of her house and she would say to my mother, you're too hard on those kids. And my mother would send her back across the street <laughs> to her own house. And I would say, shoot, how come that happens with everybody else's house? If granny talks, they listen. So mm -hmm. that was one. The other was, oh, and I'm blocking. Oh, the, the fact of survival in terms of that colorful life, one, one thing I remember are the card parties that my grandmother used to have where they would play cards, but they would also sell dinner. So they would sell greens and chitlins and macaroni and cheese. And it was a way to raise money. It was a way to survive. I'm sure in the cities, people used to call them rent parties. In the country, we used to barter for everything. You, Somebody would fix your car, somebody would do your hair, somebody would help you out in some way. Well, they had these card parties where they would, um, they would get pretty rowdy, these card parties across the street, but they also made money. It was a way to survive. And so that's why I would call what we inherited from Granny generational gumption. Gumption meaning shrewd or spirited initiative and resourcefulness. So the card party, the rent party, the barter, we come by that exchange and investment and community very honestly. So generational gumption. So if you come from people like we do, where uh, there is this industriousness of how we survive as family individually together, then perhaps you might claim that gift too. My grandmother was, I never remembered her working outside of the home, and it's probably a question I should ask if she ever had a job outside of the, outside of the home. But in her obituary, they talked about her community service. So again, mm -hmm. the community service is there, the Heart Association, other volunteer organizations she belonged to. And she was definitely a very long-standing member of her church community. And so even when she couldn't go to church, she financially supported her church. And we connected the dots in talking about my Uncle Francis, which was our original episode, and then her sister, my Aunt Doris, to the fact that she also was a creative spirit because she was at the Apollo Theater and she danced and she was in that whole atmosphere that also rubbed off on my Uncle Francis, and at least some of her grandchildren are very, very artistic as well. Mm. And they are great artists, they are writers, they are painters. So those characteristics have transferred from generation to generation. And my daughter, Raina, is a world-renowned poet, as I often describe her. She likes to say that. I am a world-renowned poet. <laughs> Don't you want to hear your people celebrate you like that? So I I wanted to note one thing about Granny, too, which is a note of mourning. So when she died, 
1989, um, I was seven, eight years old. And I remember that transition. I remember going from Philadelphia to Uniontown and anticipating the morning. And I, I really deeply appreciate us as children. One of the things that we always did when we went to uh, Uniontown, Mommy, you insisted that we always spend time with our great-grandparents. And we would sit there and you would ask questions and and we would listen and just spend time with them, with Picky and, and Granny, and witness them in their quibbling and spend time with their dog, Teddy, who I loved. And and having that closeness, not many people actually have that relationship because of time, because of distance with their great-grandparents, but we did. That was a, a precious, precious gift. And then I think about when she transitioned, and I remember being so filled with like, emotions that I couldn't name but I didn't want to go to the wake I I didn't want to go to that and I remember that being honored and everyone left and I can't remember who stayed with with us um but or with me I think that Tito went but yeah no, you and you and your brother stayed with Jim Pete's wife my aunt Cheryl yes that's right so we stayed apart and that was definitely something that I specifically had said I did not want to go to the wake and then I remember also saying that I didn't want to go to the funeral. But the next day, I, I changed my mind. But everyone was already gone. And I remember feeling so disappointed because there was nothing I could do and communicate that. And the only reason I want to uplift that is that sometimes for those who uh, are experiencing great loss and children, I think about this with my own children of their own anxiety and their fears and everything their minds change from mo one moment to another and there's such big emotions that I I want to uplift that sometimes we think that children are not ready to deal with the thing and they actually are ready to, to deal with the thing and on the other side sometimes we also push children to experience something that they're actually not ready for so for me I I remember that I changed my mind and I felt such, such sadness about not being able to go and mourn. And at the same time, I deeply appreciate that you as a parent listened to what I had said, right? Of I'm not ready and I don't want to go to this um, and and honored that. So I, I just want to uplift that too as far as this ar archival consideration of all the emotional connections in thinking about history. One of the benefits that my family, the Thomas family has is, um, speaking of generational history, is even if you were not able to go yeah. to the actual service, the Thomases have their own cemetery. Yeah. And we can visit the multi-generations way back to um, the establishment of the ce uh, cemetery in 1913. And people are often amazed when I've done documentaries of the cemetery that I can tell them where my grandparents and great-grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins and all these members of my family mm -hmm. are there. And so we do have the opportunity to visit and commune and at least once a year on Memorial Day, a lot of the family still gets together to take care of the site, although it's never been uncared for and to celebrate the lives that are there. 
but again, my my grandmother was one that that her family I've not been able to research very far back. I've been able to get to her mother and her mother's mother, my great great grandmother, but not much further. So that is a story to be uncovered. She was born in Connorsville, Pennsylvania, which is western Pennsylvania outside of Uniontown, but not a whole lot is known there. Uh, I do want to add one other story that when she passed away and my father, when uh, my grandfather had also passed away and we were taking things out of the house. Oh, yes, it's good. That story. there is a, a clock that apparently is a family heirloom that has been passed down. I don't know from how long ago in the Rubottom family and Rubottom bird family, my grandmother's family. And this clock is, is said that if you wind it up, because it's an old wind-up clock, that somebody dies every time this clock works. So the clock is in my house. I've never wound up this clock to even want to test that theory. But I do have this one artifact of my grandmother's, another one I have that was in her house. And my grandmother was not Catholic as far as I know. She belonged to a Baptist church. Maybe in her history they were Catholic, but there is a lawn ornament to the Virgin Mary that was in her yard, and it is in my house, and I am now Catholic. So I prize that lawn ornament that was in my grandmother's yard and is now a part of the art in my, my house. So again, holding on to those generational memories and those stories that are connected to those generational memories, they, it is all important. So some practices that we have shared with you today are around obviously talking to people and writing it down. So a lot of these stories were recovered, one from deep relationship with Granny, with my great-grandparents, but also with my great-aunt, my Aunt Clyda, Clyda May. Um, and, and, and one piece to mention is a lot of these stories I did not get until my Aunt Clyda was in a nursing home, and she was in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's disease. And so every now and then she would come up with these amazing stories that uh, w were just amazing. So her long-term memory was fantastic. And it's important, no matter what stage anyone is in, to get these stories down as, as these folks at some point may not remember and they may not be here anymore. So sit with your elders. Listen deeply, write down the stories and share them. Another thing that we shared with you was around learning more about the colorful nature of our people's lives and perhaps if they have connections to celebrity or specific organizations, learning more about that. So doing research adjacent, so research into the evening stars or research into Billie Holiday and her emerging practice as a performer might be something we take on. And finding out about people's lives. As yeah. I describe my grandmother as the quote-unquote typical grandmother, I could have lived with that image of my grandmother forever because it's a great image to have. She was a wonderful woman. 
But knowing her whole life and who she is, who she was, is just amazing because it adds such dimension to her and it adds dimension to all of us, knowing her whole life. We've only shared a little bit about right. the color of her life. <laughs> well, and we also uplifted our investigation into photos. So starting with a photo of my mom and my uncle Jim Pete with Granny in 1955, 1956, we can't see the last year on it, but about that time and that giving a rootedness in Granny as the typical grandmother, right? And then the other thing is around visiting your people. And that is not just our elders on this side of breath, on this side of the earth, but also visiting these places where they are, are resting, where their bodies are resting. So mommy shared about the great fortune of our family having a collective family cemetery. And wherever your people are is worthy of pilgrimage. It's worthy of visiting and connection with their memory. So that is our podcast for today. And we hope that you continue to listen to Generational Archives which is, as you know, a podcast that explores family history, recognition of the past, healing of the future through the archives of now. And we deeply appreciate your support. And your support can also come through in our Patreon. We have one now, which will be linked in the show notes. And it's just on patreon.com generational archives so if you are supporting the work or want to be in community with us and learn more about how to apply our practices our methods into your own there are options for you there and again we really appreciate you continuing to listen with us mm -hmm.